Hey, welcome to Coastal Community Church's online ministry. We are so thankful that you're making uh, this online ministry a part of your spiritual journey. And uh, we uh, want this sermon to encourage you and to help you grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. However, at Coastal, we have a, a deep conviction that uh, every Christian should be a part of a local church. And so while we want to encourage you with this online ministry, we hope it's a part of your, your walk, your journey with Christ, we do want to encourage you to be in a local church. And so if you're on the peninsula and you don't have a local church, we would love to invite you to, to our location. Uh, we have two services. We meet at 101 Village Avenue uh, in Yorktown. We have two service times, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out Coastal Community Church in person and, and worship with us corporately. The second thing is I want to introduce our sermon series for the fall. Um, we're doing a sermon series called Distorted, and we believe that uh, sin and, and just the busyness of life sometimes distorts all that God has for us. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to really dive into the scriptures and, and talk about how we have distorted what God's best is for us and remind us how the person and work of Christ makes all that clear uh, as we uh, investigate the gospel of Christ, the word of God, and, and reminding us of the truths of God so that our lives are no longer distorted and we walk in the fullness of all that the Lord has for us. Good morning. It is great to see you. Isn't it great to sing praises to the Lord and worship Him? And uh, it's actually part of my sermon today, how when we give of ourselves in worship, uh, strangely enough, we get filled up. Isn't that crazy? So uh, how the Lord does that. So good morning. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, turn with me uh, to Genesis 1. Today's kind of a, a high-level view uh, second part in the series, Distorted, and uh, it's kind of biblical theology, okay? Usually I'm kind of an exegetical preacher, but uh, I want to kind of give you some high-level views of Scripture this morning, and, and uh, we're going to continue. There's a handout in your bulletin, and you can follow along with me. While you're kind of getting all that out, if you are not yet a part of our small groups, we really would, it's not too late to join uh, twice a year, we do uh, two sermon series that we really couple up our small groups and, and the, the ser series I'm speaking on, and we do that because we want you to be in community, and it's just a great on-ramp for you to, uh, to join with us in community. Now, if you're like my small group, uh, and I always say, you know, Jesus kind of modeled this for us. He, he ministered to 12 people, so my theory is once a small group gets past 12 people, it becomes a medium-sized group probably, and not a small group. And so I suspect many of your groups was like my group and it just got big last week, right? And so it's so I'm going to use this as an opportunity to sow some seeds a little bit, all right? We have a huge need for small group leaders. As we as a church continue to grow numerically bigger, we have to grow smaller at the same time, meaning uh, there's more need for small group community. And I'm going to challenge some of you right now. Some of you have been sitting at Coastal Community Church for years and years and years, and you've heard me say, hey, we need more leaders, we need more leaders. Some, some of you need to step up and be leaders, okay? And, and we need some more small group leaders. And some of you have sat and you've soaked it in long enough, and I know it can be intimidating, you know, we attach the word leader, and you're like, I'm not a leader, and uh, you might be surprised, okay? Uh, so I want you to begin to pray about that and think about that. We definitely, for the next go-around uh, in January, February, when we do our next six weeks, uh, we need you to be, we need more small groups, okay? So I need some of you to step up and say, you know what, I'll lead a group. Now, we don't just say, raise your hand and you're a small group leader, okay? It doesn't work that way. We do have a process uh, for that, and so if you're interested, okay, now's the time to begin to to pray about that, think about that, and communicate with us. And so Pastor Joey, um, he does an initial interview, uh, and so you can email us or put that on the tear-off, hey, I'm interested, and, and uh, we'll follow up with you even getting started this week, okay, so we can begin to grow our small group ministries. In fact, one of the things I do want you to know is uh, it's bare minimum commitment. It's a 12-week commitment. I think a lot of people think if I'm a small group leader, I have to do it the rest of my life, you know, and uh, it's a lifetime sentence rather than commitment, so uh, so, you know, some small groups do go all year round, but you, you can just do the 12 weeks and then make use of what we call spiritual formation classes around that. And Pastor Joey will talk to you about that as far as our vision on that. Does that sound good? All right. I hope some of you are ready to step up that challenge because we need that. God is sending us a lot of people to minister to. We're humbled by that at Coastal, and we want you to be a part of it. I just got back from Zimbabwe, and uh, I wish I, I, I had a visual illustration.
explanation of what I'm about to talk about. I don't. Uh, but in Zimbabwe, um, the currency of Zimbabwe is actually the American greenback. And, uh, and so they use American dollars in Zimbabwe. But what was interesting uh, while we were there is the money that stayed in country was very old and very tattered and very worn. Uh, the, the, probably the best way I could describe it is take the bills that are in your wallet today, um, run them through the mud for about a week and a half, and wash them about 150 times. And that's what the, the dollars looked like in Zimbabwe. And so, the, and so you could look at these bills and you recognize them as American greenbacks, but they, they were distorted to such a level that they, you actually couldn't use them outside the country. And so when our team would maybe go to the marketplace or shop, we might give nice crisp greenbacks. And what we would get is what I'd call the Zimbabwe greenbacks in return, which, which was fine when we were in country. But when I was in the airport, you know, and they gave me one, I knew I was coming back. I was like, no, 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 no. I, you know, I want the nice crisp one in there because this one's not going to work in my country, you know, and, 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 and it, these bills were, again, you could see the image, but it was distorted almost to the point of being unusable anywhere outside of the country of Zimbabwe. Does that make sense? This morning, we're going to take a high-level view. So last week, we talked about God and His Word, and God is inseparable from His Word. Now we want to talk about the human race. And so if you have your Bible, you want to turn to, to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there. We're going to end up in the New Testament, okay? And so I want to just give you this high-level view of God, how God is working in and through humanity. And of course, today we're going to talk about this idea that the human race has been distorted by this thing called sin, okay? And, and how, you know, uh, you, can, uh, you can see the image of God on the human race. And we're going to talk about what that means this morning, that man and woman was created to reflect the very image of God, but it's been distorted. In fact, when you go to the New Testament, which we're going to get to in a little bit, it, that, you know, there's a reason that we have to die, actually. This body has to die, and of course, it's the result of sin, but it's because where God is taking us, this body can't go. And that's a good thing, actually, right? So just like that's the, the greenback could the Zimbabwe greenback couldn't leave the country, we really in some ways can't leave this country to where God is taking us, right? And we have to be restored. The image of God in its entirety has to be restored in us. And so the first thing I want you to see this morning is that that man is made in the image of God. Man is made in the image of God. And so Let's take a look at the original design, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They, will, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now there's some very interesting truths. You have to remember here that this this passage Passage at his outset is is describing for us, okay, uh, uh, the Garden of Eden. So this is this is God's original intent for the human race. Okay, I'm, I got a new microphone after last week, so I'm still working out the kinks. It's right in my eyesight, which is weird to me. Probably to you, it's fine, but like I see it, right? It's like seeing your blind spot. You ever see your blind spot? And you're like following it around, you know, with your head. That's what I feel like right now. So let me get this right. There we go. It's not going to work. And, and I, I make it more awkward, right? I should have just kept preaching, right? Let's make it more awkward. <laughs> All right. I'm a professional. Don't try this at home, ladies and gentlemen. Um, where was I? All right, here we go. So as image bearers, okay, and man is an image bearer, as image bearers, so let me unpack a couple things that, the, that it means for us to be image bearers. The first thing that it means is as image bearers, we are created to worship, we're created to worship. We're, we, we bear the image of our creator, and therefore the natural overflow is for us to worship God, which means that we honor him and we submit to him and we give praise to him and we give glory to our creator God. And that's why when we, 
when we don't worship God, when God is not at the center of our lives, at the core of our being, at the core of our, when we, when we try to place what the Bible calls an idol there, we try to place maybe work there or, we, or, 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 or a relationship with another person, we, when we place other things besides God at the center of our being, we feel incomplete. Because we're image bearers and therefore we're created to worship, right? And, and that's why when you, when you do what God has called you to do in worship and in praise and in serving and in dying to yourself and serving someone else, that's why you would think that by giving of yourself you would be empty. But when you do things the way God has called you to do, you actually feel more full. Why is it that we can sing praise, we're giving of ourselves to God, yet it fills us up? Why is that? Because we're image bearers. And as image bearers, the more we give ourselves to worship, meaning doing things the the way God has called us to do, the more we feel full. And when we don't, we've got a gaping hole in our heart and in our soul. Does that make sense? The modern language, we use the the phrase, you know, we all have a God-sized hole in our hearts. And that's true. And the hole is there because of rebellion and sin, so as image bearers, we're created to worship. Now, secondly, as image bearers, God created us male and female. Both sexes are required to display the image of God. Now, the Bible's very, all throughout Scripture, there's this idea of, the term I like to use is functional order. Okay, there's, God has created functional order, meaning... In our workplace, okay, God is very clear. We're to submit, have a functional order, which is submit to our bosses and and work hard for our bosses as if we're working for the Lord. Civilians are to submit to their governments. Church members are to submit to the pastors and elders inside of their churches. Parents, children, you're to submit to your parents that God has placed your parents over. Some parents are like, preach a whole sermon on that. Okay, no, I'll come back to that another time, but... You know, in our marriages, God has defined a functional order that, men, you're to be the spiritual leader. But functional order does not mean that there's a difference in honor, okay? Both sexes, male and female, have infinite worth because they are image bearers of God. In fact, it is this kind of idea that has rightfully pushed for equal rights in the public square, okay? And so, so man and woman is created, is the, are image bearers of our God. The third thing about being an image bearer, and this is kind of the job description that God has given Adam and Eve in the garden, they were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to be fruitful and multiply. Now I'm going I'm to make some radical statements because I think our culture, we, we've been taught differently, okay, different than what the Bible tells us. Humanity is to cover the earth. And, and the institution for doing that is family. God designed man and woman as image bearers, the family, to, to, to multiply and cover the earth. One man, one woman in marriage, and they are to have and raise children. Having children and raising children is a good thing. The Bible tells us our children are a gift from the Lord. In fact, I would go so far as to say that you can trace most, I was tempted to say all, and it might be all, but I I would venture to say you can trace most of our cultural problems to the breakdown of the family in our culture. And as we break away from this, this image bearer, God has designed us to be fruitful. As we break away from this, as, as the family becomes more and more fractured, what happens is we have to now begin to legislate morality. We have to begin to bring provisions as a culture to a family unit that's supposed to be vi- provided by a man and a woman in marriage, right? And so as we break away from this, okay, the social structures around us demand more and more needs, I, think, I, th- I, really, I really believe part, a big part of our 20 trillion in debt as a culture is the breakdown of the family and the biblical structure for that and how the family's supposed to work and how the family's supposed to provide and how the family's supposed to take care of one another. In fact, one of the lies you hear sometimes in our culture is the, uh, the idea of population control. The Bible doesn't speak of population control, it's an unbiblical idea. And is given the obligation 
to multiply and fill the earth. In fact, I would tell you that there have been many, many atrocities done to the human race, usually babies, in the name of population control. God told Adam and Eve, fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply. The second thing we're told is to, to have dominion, okay? Or the NLT says to govern the earth. Dominion is part of the job description. Being created in the image of God, fruitful and multiply, have dominion over the earth. Man is to rule and develop the land. In fact, one of the reasons that we, I think the earth, the planet houses 7 billion people today, which by the way, if you take all the people on planet earth right now, and then you, you add up all the generations of history previous, there's not as many people in history previous as is on the earth right now. Isn't that fascinating? Why are we able to do that? I think we're able to do that because man has, in a healthy, in some very healthy ways, had dominion and governed. And so there's, there's, there's technology, there's water supply and food supply and health care. And I believe this is a good thing. Now let me address two of the abuses, okay? Because I get this. I, there's some of y'all, well, what about the abuse? Yes, and this is why the, the distorted image of God is a problem, okay? The first abuse is abusive dominance, a, that's a lie. That's not, man is not to be abusive in their dominion, in their, in their governing of the earth. By the way, we can look at God for this. God, who's ultimately sovereign over all, right? He's sovereign over all, but he, he, he rules with a loving servant attitude. That's the whole gospel. Jesus saved us when he became the servant of all. And that's how man is to have dominion. And so my main point is, as Christians, we should be conscious of the environment. Shouldn't be abusive to animals. There's, there, there can be, okay, by the restoration of God, there can be dominion or governing without abuse. We should have wise con- con- conservation. We, we live among these riverbanks of dominion without destruction. Does that make sense? And so we flow as a culture and as people in, in, in these riverbanks. So that's one lie is abusive or misuse of the job description is abusive dominion. The second is that animals are superior to humans. That's a lie. It's not true. Doesn't mean animals aren't great. Because I let me everybody look at me for a minute. All right. <laughs> so I know I just lost my cat lovers, and the dog lovers are on the fence. Right? Okay. So I'm out of here. My cat's way smarter than you. Okay. All right, so let me be clear. There's no, there is no place for the abuse of animals, okay? Loving, kind dominion means we take care of even animals, all right? However, let's be very clear. I'm going to unpack this in a minute, okay? Mankind is uniquely created in the image of God. There is a uniqueness. In fact, there's some times where I say this and I'm surprised I have to say it. Human race is different than the animals. And if we go too far in elevating animals, actually the scriptures say we can begin to worship the created rather than the creator. And if you don't believe me, and I'm going I'm to illustrate this in a minute, Romans chapter 1 says this, verse 21, Yes, they know God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people or birds or animals or reptiles. He says, in other words, in our mind, in our thinking, we, we can begin to elevate the wrong things. Now, let me illustrate this because I know a lot of you are like, well, I don't have an idol in my house, okay? I have a little bird that I, idol that I bow down to. I mean, that's ridiculous. So many, many years ago, I worked with this lady. She had two bumper stickers on the back of her car, Okay. So this is where I want to shape your worldview this morning. When I say worldview, what I mean is every decision we make should be, should be run through a biblical grid of what God has taught us to be true, okay? Because God can't be separated from his word, right? And so I want to give you a biblical world. So this lady had two bumper stickers on the back of her car. This was about 20 years ago. One was save the whales. 
Okay? And the other was pro-choice. All right? So I, I saw this for a while, and finally one day I just couldn't keep my mouth shut. All right? And I said, you got to explain something to me. Why are you tender and sympathetic towards the whales, but you're unsympathetic to the preborn? And what I got was a, a convoluted mess in an explanation, okay? That at best was inconsistent and at worst was potentially dangerous. You know, I'm okay with saving the whales, but please, uh, how can you save the whales and not save the preborn? Made in God's image. Like sometimes, you know, somehow I think we think our culture is so much ahead of Nazi Germany, but man, we are slaughtering the preborn in this culture. Probably for most, it's in the name of materialism, so your life will be easier. I suspect, I don't know always. By the way, some of you in this room live with the, with the pain of that in your past. I've got really good news for you. We're going to get to that at the end. The gospel brings restoration. Okay, The gospel brings restoration. Wayne Grudem, a well-known theologian who I lean into a lot, he said this. I'll, let you, we're going to re, I'll put this up on screen, I believe. It says this. Every single human being, no matter how much the image of God is marred by sin or illness, or weakness, or age, or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image, and therefore must be treated with dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. This has profound implications for our conduct towards others. It means that people of every race deserve equal dignity and rights. It means that elderly people, those seriously ill, those with intellectual disabilities and children yet unborn deserve full protection and honor as human beings. If we ever deny our unique status in creation as God's only image bearers, we will soon begin to depreciate the value of human life. We will tend to see humans as merely a higher form of animal, and we will begin to treat each other as such. We will also lose much of our sense of meaning in life. Does that sound like a culture you live in? Does our culture need to be reminded that we're image bearers of the Most High? Absolutely. So we're made in the image of God, and this has profound implications for our lives. Now, let me give you some aspects of what it means to be an image bearer. Number two, let me give you some aspects. Number one, or A, there's a moral aspect, okay? As an image bearer, okay, you are morally accountable to God. As an image bearer, you, you, you are able to determine right from wrong. I'm going to confess something to you with fear and trembling, Okay? When I was in Africa, we got to take a photo safari. It wasn't all hard work and missions. All right, so there you go. It's out. Now I just said it's in public. So while we were out on this photo safari in Zimbabwe, it was incredible. I mean, I have some, oh, I just have so many great pictures and incredible. And so one day we were out and we were on this African plane and our guide sees a, a cheetah from way far away with her five cubs making their way across this plane. And this thing went right in front of our car or safari pickup that we were in, I guess. And it was incredible. We went away, watched this cheetah go across this plane, and then we went and took a little break and looked for some other animals. And about an hour later, our guide had discovered that the cheetah had made a kill. It had, it had, it had uh, found an impala, which was kind of like a deer, and it was... And he got us really up close, and I have this amazing video of this cheetah feeding her cubs on this impala. Some of y'all are intrigued. Some of y'all have this face like, you got to be kidding me. What? I have the video. We can show it to you afterwards, all right? I, just, I was torn on whether I should show it today. I opted not to, okay? So I was like, I'll keep my job. So um, <laughs> you want to know something? Not one person in that pickup jumped up and said, murderer, the cheetah's a murderer. Not one person jumped out of the vehicle and said, I'm bringing you up on charges. Because had they, they would have been dessert, okay? So, like, that's what, how that would have went down. 
Oh, an animal doesn't have morality. We don't expect an animal to, to have moral implications. Does that make sense? Nor should we. It's ridiculous. Animals aren't made in the image of God, but as humans, man, there's a moral aspect to our lives. There's a spiritual aspect, okay? We function in the spiritual realm, which means we can contemplate God. We can, we can pray. We can think reasonably about God. We can praise. These are not things that the animal world is capable. We, we have immortality in the spiritual realm. We know that. In fact, I believe we know that. I said this about six months ago. I quoted a fallout boy who sings the song Centuries, right? You will remember me for what? Only like the 30s and unders. I don't know. What did he say? I think we know it. Like Fall Out Boy sings, you will remember me for centuries. Why does he sing that? Because we have this innate sense of there's eternity set in our hearts, right? Now for all the old people, okay, uh, Irene Kara sang this song in fame, fame, I'm gonna what? There, that guy finally got one. Like it's in our hearts, like we know it, right? I'm gonna live forever. I'm gonna learn how to fly. Some of you are waiting for it to go high. I can't sing, so it's not going to happen, all right? Oh, but we, like, there's an, there's an immortality piece to our spirituality, and we know it. Even people that wouldn't call themselves Christians know, man, I am designed to make kind of an eternal impact somehow. It's part of being created. It's part of the aspect of being in, a, in the image of God. There's a relational aspect to our lives, okay, because we're created in the image of God. It's the overflow of the Godhead. This idea of the Trinity, it's mysterious but amazing. The God of the Bible that we worship. He's one God, but he revealed himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even inside the Godhead, there's differing roles. Even inside the Godhead, there's functional order. Inside the Godhead, there's a relationship. There's love. There's mutual honor, respect. And as image bearers, these are the things that we can offer to one another. Because we're image bearers of God. And so we can care for someone when they need care. We can empathize or sympathize. We can journey together in communities. That's why small groups are so important. You're not intended to go through life alone. There's a physical aspect to being created in the image of God. There's a physical aspect. Now, by the way, I want you all to hear me on this, okay? God does not have a physical body. God is spirit, John 4. So I don't, I don't want to be brought up on heretic charges, Okay? However, our physical bodies allow us to experience some of the characteristics of being created in the image of God. We can see, we can hear, we can speak, we have, we have a physical body. We can, we can grow to be more and more like Christ because of our bodies. We can pray, we can think, we can serve, we can study, we can even suffer. The Bible says with suffering we become more like Christ because we're image bearers. And so all of Humanity, regardless of your state, has great dignity. Why? Because we're image bearers. Now, here's the bad news. You ready? This all got distorted at the beginning of the story. All that God created us to be got distorted by sin. And so now we run through life with this distorted image of God in our lives. And out of that, because of that, there's both sin and curse. This is the... This is the heartbreaking piece of the story. This is the part of the story where it tears at our souls. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And because Adam was our federal head, now we're all born into sin. And the curse of sin is a part of our current state. In fact, if you have your Bible and you're in Genesis 1, flip over to Genesis 3. I'm going to read a long passage of Scripture. Please, please, please don't check out here. I want you to hear this. You have to, this, this will give you clarity on your current state of life right now. So Adam and Eve rebel against God. There's one tree that they're not to eat of. They eat of it in rebellion. And God then walks through the garden. He had this intimate relationship. The relationship's now broken. And so God seeks out man and woman. God has to ask, where are you? For the first time, there's this hiddenness. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then the Lord God asked the question, asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, so I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're, you're cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You'll crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. By the way, if you, if you like to write in your Bible, I'll give you a highlighter. Right? Highlight verse 15, because here's the first hint of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. It's the hint that ultimately Jesus is going to give the crushing blow to our, to our enemy, Satan. To the world, to the flesh and devil. Verse 16, then he said to the woman, man, I will. Now here's the curse part. So there's sin and here's the curse of sin. I will sharpen your pain in pregnancy. In pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but you will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded You are not to eat. The ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat from its grains, by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from the dust, to the dust you will return. And the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all living things. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins. By the way, here's the first death of animals as a result of sin for Adam and his wife. In verse 22, then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? They will live forever. I want you to capture this idea. God is saying, oh my goodness, what if in this broken state, they have the opportunity to live forever and ever and ever. And it's kind of this theme of the tree of life, which by the way, finds its its finality back in Revelation where we, God takes us to heaven and we again, because of Christ and the gospel, we return to the tree of life, only no longer in a broken state. Isn't that great? I mean, this is really a blessing that God didn't leave us like this forever and ever and ever. Verse 23, so the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending him out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword flash back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I hope you feel the weight of this, because every part of the image of God is now distorted and broken as a result of sin. Every time I read this, it just is like a crushing blow. Filling the earth and multiplying is now more difficult. There's pain and childbearing. Dominion over the earth is now more difficult. It's both abused and it's now difficult. I was thinking about this this morning. Like, like I, I suspect most of you feel this way. You get up each day and you feel like you're kind of scratching out a living. And no matter how much money you make, it just gets difficult, right? It's so difficult. I wonder if we're going to have health insurance to be able to provide. And you scratch and you work and you scratch and you work. Why is it so difficult? It's part of the curse. And by the way, we live in the most wealthy country in the world. And yet you still get up and go, man, it's so, I'm just scratching it out. What's that about? It's, it's the broken image of God and it's the curse of sin. Now we're, we're broken morally because we're, we're born into sin. And so that we're in this broken state. Which, by the way, let me, let me pause here for a minute. All right? I want to give you guys some handles because sometimes I don't think we know how to answer some of the cultural questions that are coming our way. This is why the argument of man being born a particular way is not a valid argument to determine morality. Well, I'm born that way. I'm born with an inclination to drink. I come from a long line of alcoholics. This is hypothetical, by the way. I'm born, so some of you are sitting here, like like you could use the excuse, I'm born this way. Doesn't let you off the hook of the idea that drunkenness is a sin. So you sit here week in and week out, you make excuses for your temper. I'm born, man, I come from a long line of hotheads. As long as I can remember. I'm just, I'm born this way. Doesn't let us off the hook that lack of self-control is a sin. The argument in our culture is that I'm born with same-sex attraction. Therefore, homosexuality is okay. I'm born this way. 
doesn't let us off the hook that homosexuality and practicing homosexuality is a sin. Some of you sit here and say, man, I'm born, uh, as long as I can remember, I enjoy looking at the opposite sex with little or no clothing. I'm born this way. Doesn't make that morally right or good. Being born with a particular family trait that has been passed down, my father did or didn't do, it it seems in our culture it's being used as a cop-out or an escape, doesn't make what you're doing acceptable. Being born with a particular bent towards a particular sin does not make that bent of yours morally right or morally good. Here's why. Our morality is broken by sin. We are no longer in a position to determine what is morally right and morally good. Only God is now in that position. The image of God is now broken in us. The Bible literally defines us as dead in our sins. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we could be. It doesn't mean when being dead in sins, we all turn out to be Hitler. That's kind of the universal one everyone agrees on, right? What it does mean is every part of our being has been affected and broken by sin. And therefore, we're, 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 we're uh, affected morally, we're, expe- we're affected spiritually, we're affected relationally, we're affected physically. It has all been tainted and broken and touched by sin. Church, you are, your position before God is far worse than you dared imagine. The the reason we don't understand the gospel, we're going to get to this next week when we talk about the gift of the law of God, okay? The reason reason you think I'm okay, you're okay, is because you don't realize your position before the holy, holy, righteous God is far worse than you dare dream. Apart from Christ, you're way more screwed up than you dared imagine. You're not just a little sick in need of a little redirection, The image of God has been broken and distorted beyond your ability to fix it. In fact, some of you have been trying. Some of you have have not yet. Some of you in this room, um, you haven't really understood the gospel. You've understood religion. You've been trying really hard to be good. And the problem with trying really hard to be good is you're going to fail. And then what do you do with that once you fail? That's the bad news. Okay, so I'm going to give you a glimmer of hope this morning. Ready? I'm going to give you some good news. The good news is God is in the saving business. God didn't send us a little Savior. He sent us a great Savior who is indeed mighty to save. Isn't that good news? And so God is in the process of what I'm calling gospel restoration. Gospel restoration. All that the first Adam messed up, the second Adam came to restore. That's what the New Testament calls Christ. All that appeared lost, God in his grace and his mercy sent his son to find. All that looked hopeless and lost is now found. The second Adam has restored the opportunity for eternal life. It's good news. Now, I'm, gonna clo- I'm actually going to close my sermon this week with another song. This song just came to my mind. I'm not going to sing it, okay, uh, the worship team. is. So I'm going to do like I did last week. I need the worship team to come up, all right, and uh, all of you all pay attention to the scriptures. Check out this scripture. This is amazing, 1 Corinthians 15. I love this verse. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the resurrection of Christ, and he says this in verse 42. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted into the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Now, here's, here's the, let me give you the illustration. We'll come back to the text, right? Here's the illustration. The illustration is, those of you who are gardeners, you take a seed, you plant it into the ground, that seed dies, okay? And then it springs to life something radically more, more glorious, than what you put in the ground, right? You put one little seed in the ground and boom, out comes over time this great harvest. If you plant corn or you plant tomatoes or whatever, right? Boom, out comes a great harvest. And that's the illustration. Paul here is saying one day you're going to have a funeral service. And I want, if you're a Christian, I want you to see this body as a planting. Isn't that cool? 
Plant me in the ground, baby. I can't wait. I'm not looking forward to today necessarily, but you know what I'm saying, right? I should just shut up and read the text. Here we go, verse 43. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They will be buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, guess what, church? There are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us that the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes from the first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from where, church? Earthly people are like the earthly man, but the heavenly people are like the heavenly man. That's why it's very important for you to understand when you become a Christian, you get to deposit the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit in your life, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. Isn't that great news? Since we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like what, church? The heavenly man. So the gospel restores all that's broken. By the way, the gospel is a little bit of a quickie here, right? I'll throw this in. The gospel restores our job. So Adam and Eve have a job. Be fruitful and multiply. Have dominion. Govern the earth. I still believe that's part of what we're to do. But the gospel also gives us a tweak to our job description. This is why God doesn't just rapture us into heaven when we become a Christian. We have a job to do. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples... I've given authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You have a job to do. By the way, I started this sermon today with a little bit of an announcement, right? Remember what I said at the beginning? We need some small group leaders. The small group leaders is about the Great Commission. And there's some of you sat in this room for years and you've soaked and you soaked and you soaked and you soaked and you soaked. I want to encourage you if you're a Christian, why hasn't God just raptured you home? You have a job to do. There's some people you need to invest in. There's some people that you need to come alongside when we're teaching the Word, come alongside and help teach the Word, help grow community and minister to them so that they'll grow in Christ. And I know how this goes. Like, I really like my small group. Good thing Jesus, I mean, Jesus could have said, I really like being here in heaven with you, Heavenly Father. But there's a missional part of our lives that calls us to be dangerous and uncomfortable for this season called life. And so God has given us a job to do. In this in-between time, before God takes us home to be with him, it is the gospel that restores all that is broken. In fact, maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're like, man, Pastor Jones, you were talking about sin and that burden. I feel that weight. Man, I've got great news for you. It is the person and the work of Jesus Christ that restores all that is lost. Every time I hear this song, man, I am thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ who brings restoration. Take a listen to this. Restoration, you bring restoration. 
pages of scripture we see the image of God distorted and broken and in Genesis 3.15 we get the hint that God is not done with the human race and I painted a, a bleak picture this morning but I left one small thing out you're more broken and messed up than you could ever imagine, but maybe you're sitting here this morning and says, is there hope for me? Yes, you are more loved than you ever dared dream. That's the message of the gospel. And our Savior is mighty to save, and he's in the process of restoring, and he's in the process of making all things new. The first Adam messed it all up, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is in the process of making it all straight and restoring us to our original design. Distorted by sin, but restored by Jesus Christ. And it's not just for this lifetime, although he promises to give the abundant life. But it's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He restores us for eternal life. That is the great news of the gospel. Do me a favor, bow your heads, and let's close with prayer this morning. Maybe you're here this morning, and you walked in here, and your soul was beaten and battered, and you wondered, is there any hope for me? I've got some great news for you. Jesus came to bring restoration. Jesus is in the process of making all things new. And so for you this morning, I want to offer a simple prayer that's not a magical prayer, but it's just an opportunity to do business with God. Maybe you're here this morning, you know what, I want to turn from my sin. I want to follow my Savior, the second Adam, who will restore my heart, my soul, and offer me eternal life. It's freely available to you this morning. And if that's where you are, pray with me in your heart and in your mind. Heavenly Father. And I came in here a mess this morning. Came in here broken. Distorted. By sin. And I now realize, God, I'm uniquely created. The image of God imprinted upon my soul. And while it's cracked and broken and distorted. I recognize this morning you sent your son Jesus Christ to restore and make all things new. As best I understand it this morning, God, I turn from my sin, I turn from doing things my way, and I trust my Savior, Jesus Christ. I trust that he is making me new, restoring all that was broken to give not only the abundant life here on earth, but eternal life. To live with my Creator and our Heavenly Father forever and ever. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.